0: The greatest early theologians of the church, Origen, uh, tried to explain the problem of this name, Gerasenes, and uh, this is a problem with ancient geography. But in in many ways, um, there's a lot of wonderful surprises that happen. Um, There is a Gadarenes, and there's also a Gergesenes. That's was Origen's choice, but these locations, um, there was a predisposition in historical archeology span to imagine that most of the location names of the scripture are mythological, they're made up. In fact, if you remember rightly, Troy was one of those. There was a disposition in modern scholarship in the 19th century that most ancient texts made up names, made up locations. And that has been proved stoutly to be wrong, (laughs) completely to be wrong. And in fact, many ancient texts and the scriptures in particular have been vindicated deeply have been vindicated as having remarkable uh, geographical uh, geographical accuracy, and in fact, there is, and there well, it doesn't, I don't think, it exists anymore. There's a small Arabic town called Karasa in this location on the other side of the Galilee, of the Sea of Galilee, where there is, in fact, a very steep, a very steep uh, drop into the into the Sea of Galilee. And so there's these wonderful vindications that happen. I almost, sometimes people have a very static view of, um, or sometimes an antiquated view of the Bible, that it somehow was, you know, hammered out on tablets of gold. It was not. It was not. It was, in fact, inspired, I believe, and, and without error. But in a remarkable way, these conflicting ancient texts, of which there's like almost 5,000 of the New Testament and pieces, these different names, in a sense, vindicate it. They vindicate the, the authenticity of the original, as really telling, really describing true, true things. And in fact, this text, which is thoroughly, we believe, Petron, from Peter, uh-huh, it has all the bearings again of an eyewitness account. So we're going to read this. The only larger narrative I want you to be aware of is: remember that we had the Sea of Galilee, and uh, the Sea of Galilee. Um, was is the is the immediately preceding story, and we looked at that last week for Easter. This week we're doing there's the the the, the uh, Gerasene demoniac, and then oh gosh I, I know I can spell demoniac I can't seem to spell when I'm here, and uh, and the next it's uh, Jairus's daughter Jairus and his, and God's uh, Christ's defeat of death and after that, suffering, suffering and sickness. Now, this triad here, in the early Mark, the narrative was very, um, the narratives were narratives of conflict, but they were also very abbreviated. Um, There there, there was mentioned, the very first miracle of Jesus is uh, the healing of a man with an unclean spirit, and the unclean spirit happens to be where? In the church. That's just a little footnote. That's where you meet the devil, you meet him in church. So... Now, the narratives are getting more elaborate. Does that make sense? They're getting more detailed. They're getting a lot more lived detail. And the premise that this Jesus is not a man, not merely a man, but that he is the son of God, which is from the very first verse of Mark, he is proving this thesis. Space and time and all nature conquered uh, the winds and the waves. Spiritual forces dominated and controlled. Death itself and suffering redeemed. And there's a there's a really there's a wonderful larger narrative structure. That's what I'm, he's making a larger narrative structure. And I want you to I want you to have a handle on this. Because these are these these are well constructed narratives. They're well conceived and they have a purpose. He wants to prove something. He wants to prove something. He wants to prove a different way of looking at the world here. Then then perhaps you may be familiar. We're looking at that second story now, the Gerasene. The Good grief, you can't read that. Uh, I guess this is more for me when I do this than it is for you. Uh, um, I heard that. Let's read Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat... Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let me, um, let me, ask, let me ask God to visit us this night. Father, I, I pray for a visit, a visitation of your spirit that equips me and, and gives me wisdom, gives us wisdom together, really, to grasp uh, what these stories might mean for us. Uh, and we pray this in Christ. Amen. Um, You know, I was thinking about with this text today, sometimes it's a format in this time. I've invited questions. Uh, I didn't plan on saying doing that today, but it seems like it might be a good idea if you have any. There's a lot. This is a very strange, strange text. Uh, Sometimes people get hung up on different parts and pieces. Uh, There's the ecological crisis, right? The ecological crisis. Uh, The destruction of a bunch of pigs, for example. And uh, people are puzzled by that, alarmed. And and, uh, and it's it's a, it's a strange narrative. Is strange, isn't it? I find when it comes to the, the demonic that there are two there are two kind of uh, there are two wrong responses: credulity and naivete. Now those might look like the same idea. <laughs> Credulity and naivete. But the credulity that I see uh, is more prevalent amongst superstitious Christians. What I mean by this is that, I'll give you an example. I was recently at a conference and I heard a preacher talking about how at a local coffee shop uh, there, he had witnessed proof of a man demon possessed. I was listening to him, like, wow. I mean, it was a big room. I was thinking, wow, really? I'm thinking, what did he say? He goes, he was able to move a pen and make it spin on the table. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I know how to do that magic trick, you knucklehead. That's the first thing I think. <laughs> I know how to do that magic trick. It's really, really easy. Credulity. In other words, this is the uh, this is the, the overemphasis that in a sense, an over-fascination, uh, a, a mystical kind of overreach of the concept of the demonic. like It's, it's kind of nutty and, and perhaps a bit... But it, it is very powerful. It's very, very present in the Christian tradition. And it pops up from time to time with alarming kind of, uh, with alarming kind of power. And these kinds of stories, the story read today, where uh, a demon has a name, and it's freaky, and it sounds like a horror... It's, doesn't it sound like a horror, scene out of a horror movie? I think there was some horror movie called Legion or something like that about the demonic. But there's it is it. And, and so it, it really has all the parts and pieces, and it would seem to invite that. I think it doesn't invite that. I think it's there to tell you that this is how real this is. Not to tell you what it real, all, all the details, but it's there to tell you it's real. Because on the other side is naivete. And the naivete of this generation in Silicon Valley and in San Francisco is to imagine that these things are mythological, and they are not. They are not mythological. They're not mythological. What is mythological is is the model for personhood that this generation believes. And so my goal today, then, is to ruin—I want to ruin everybody's day. That's my goal today. I want to ruin everybody's day. First, I want to ruin your day, David, and tell you that AI, the singularity, will never happen. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. We have, an inadequate, we have an inadequate model for personhood. And what the, this is interesting in, in, in Mark. Mark is relentless. From the very initial foray of Christ in the synagogue, all the way chapter after chapter after chapter, Christ is toe to toe with demonic power. And what this text is telling you, you've got to realize that demonic power is real. The reason I make the argument that, 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 uh, that, that AI is not possible by this generation is because it has an inadequate model for personhood. It does not acknowledge that you and I are the intersection seamlessly of the spiritual, the mental, the soulish, the immaterial, and the material and the biological and the mechanical. We, we are all those things. This is a very ancient model for what it means to be a person, a man, or a woman, right? And, and what, it means to, what it means to our identity. The new modern identity is, re, is reductive. In other words, it, 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 in a sense, it, it, I think it unmans man. It dehumanizes the human by insisting that you are merely biological and mechanical and, and, and in such a model, in an inadequate model, of course you can get AI, we should be able to do it, right? We should be able to get there, because we can do, we can create those mechanisms. I maintain that is a false view of humanity. And, what, and we're being invited to, you know, very, very, you know, I was thinking about this today. What this kind of text invites us into, it's a whole new ge- geography of thinking. It's a whole, we're resistant to it, and it's, 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 it's odd, you know, our paradigm has a lot of tyranny right now, this paradigm that you can only, only what is mechanical and biological, et cetera, is real. But we all know, uh, and Discovery Channel and some of these other channels uh, exploit this knowledge, that there's all sorts of things those, those, those models don't explain. And of course, they try to create all these weird, you know, ancient astronauts and odd, uh, 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 all those things, all the data in life that can't be explained. You know, now that we were talking about, when you were talking this week about answers to prayer, right? You know, there's data out there that just doesn't make sense. And, and, and so, all things aside, whatever paradigm you're using, you have to admit, doesn't satisfy all the data. Even if, you, uh, even if you're just a biologist and you say, I don't believe any of this crap, Chris, you still got to admit, your, your paradigm is insufficient too. I'm claiming my paradigm sets up the truth, the reality, the presence, and the power of the Son of God. Over this present darkness. <clears throat> and it finally makes sense. Man's inhumanity to man. The collapse and the evil of this generation. The weirdness of it, strangeness of it, the destruction I see on the street. People talking to walls, publicly urinating in the corner. I naked. Cutting themselves, disfiguring themselves. So that's the first thing I want to ruin. And I want to invite you into a new model of who you are. You are, Ryan. You are, actually. You right now are the intersection, right now, of the spiritual, of the soul, of the mind, and the body here. And you and I together are that. We're being invited to realize there's an unseen world. Now, the second thing I want to do now—it's kind of so—I challenge you: if you want to fight back about my put it this way—to those who believe, or to those who don't believe, no evidence will be suffice. I know that. If you don't believe, no evidence is going to suffice. To those who do believe, no evidence is necessary. <laughs> right? I get that. There's a different different ways of looking at the world. Uh, if you want to challenge me stoutly about my perceptions on the supernatural, and I'm unembarrassed. Christianity is an unembarrassed supernaturalism. That's one of its definitions. It's an unembarrassed supernaturalism. And let's let's, let's tango. Let's get together this week, and let's debate it. Let's talk afterwards. My second thing I want to ruin, after I ruined David's hopes, and Google's hopes, here's what's become really compelling about this text and this is kind of a I'm trying to think of how to get at this and get at this truth and so you can see we can see it together um, we're living in the Gadarene demoniac <laughs> this city is a madhouse And you know, this is such a pitiful story. You see them, he, he's naked, he's just, he's completely, nobody, can, who can control the city? Does anybody have control over the city, or have seen? Uh, it's, it's interesting, a number of cities have locuses of control. It's really hard to figure out what it is here. Like, apart from just being money, drugs, and sex. Those control the city, but who's controlling? They're there, nothing ever gets done in this city because of it, because of all the competing interests. It's very hard to get even get a little railway <laughs> to go half a mile north. The madness of this generation seems to me to be personified by this, okay, this person. And I'm going to maintain that that there's something in the story that really is kind of wonderful about that. It it kind of taps into our experience. It taps into what into what we see and what we experience. We are dealing. We are living. We are surrounded by. We are in a sense confronted by the screams. And why the word the, the language in the Greek is it's hard to capture in English. He is literally howling, <laughs> screaming at the top of his lungs. In fact, uh, and isn't, it, isn't that funny? Howl, does anybody know the poem Howl by Allen Ginsberg? Howl, the famous, one of the most famous screams of the, this generation in poetic terms, was first, was first read at City Light Books over in North Beach. And the city's been howling for the last 50 years. Really, Real Real it's that bad. But Christ comes with victory. And I, I it's really funny that, but that, it's going it gets even better than that. So Christ comes with this victory as the Son of God. Victory to heal, victory to rescue, tenderness. Oh, he's so tender. Uh, this weird conversation. I've seen so many so many on this text. And this text is bizarre. Christ is having conversations with demons. And what, what's the purpose of all this? And it seems to me that it wants, it wants to take this premise of the glory of Jesus Christ and the greatness of his stature and the reality of his divinity and push it. Mark's pushing it so that the ruin of our lives, when, when, when Christ's victory The ruin of our lives, (laughs) when it smacks into the ruin of our lives, changes everything. And it doesn't matter, in in a sense, the gathering, he he telegraphs to us hope for the most desperate. Does that make sense? For the most removed, for the furthest out. And I want to participate in that hope for my city. I don't want to look at the woman taking a dump in the the street, and I've seen this, and go, you know what? That's never going to happen. That person's never going to know Jesus. That's a lie, and Christ is showing it to be a lie, and He has power to heal. Some of you may say, well, some of that's mental illness. How much is mental illness, and how much is demonic, or how much is, is uh, uh, addiction? But remember, if we, if we have a new model for personhood, we see these are all seamless, and He is a great Savior who heals seamlessly. He restores souls. He restores the addicted and the mentally handicapped and destroyed. You don't need to understand what the what the nexus of your person is like. You don't need to understand what well what portion of this man's problem or that woman's issue and on the street or wherever is psychological or conditioned by the ruin of their lives and abuse and use of drugs and mental you don't need to know. It doesn't matter. Because Christ's power. Christ's power is the centerpiece here. It's Christ's power. It's so wonderful how he, and they all marvel, but they all marvel at He's just sitting there peacefully, completely changed. I want to participate as a church in Jesus's power being known like this, in his power to rescue being known like this. Observe first. This is all gospel love for the one thing this, demonic, this demonically destroyed man can't do is save himself, and neither can you. Neither can we. It screams gospel-free grace. It screams total rescue, right? That it screams the gospel. It's the first thing it does. It tells us, Jesus loves us freely. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. And all the freedom of the gospel exists. We can't save ourselves. And we can't save the city. Because <sighs> I don't... I, I, look, I don't want to try. If you want to try, go somewhere else. Because I, uh, if Jesus wants to do it, let's say... I, doesn't that relieve you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what... We're going to trust His power. You know, every week we pray... My kingdom come, and thy will be done. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. Did you notice something in the text? Uh, Who gets what they want? Who gets what they want when Christ's victory arrives? Who gets what they want in the text? The demons and the villagers. Immediately. Like, they immediately get what they want. It's pathetic. It's very sad, in fact. Uh, The demons get what they want, which is some further or greater ruin, since they realize they're not going to be able to be with possess this man, this weird, uh, this weird uh, possession they have over this character. They realize that's their trump's up. And but what destruction can we reach? What can we do? And Jesus, in this weird place of mercy, shows mercy on the demonic, and he dies. He's he's merciful to them. He doesn't just test them out, and then he does what they've asked. And a tenderness he has, and then, then they just they, they get what they want. They sabotage. They make him look like an immediate fiscal threat to the well-being and the, of, of the popular of, of the powerful men of the, of the area. And nothing will get people's attention more quickly than a threaten, threaten their threaten their investments, right? They get what they want. Villagers, hey, uh, could you get out of here? Could you get out of here? They get what they want. Who doesn't get what they want? The demoniac. It's such a a tender moment. You know, he went from disgrace to grace, right? And uh, all he wants to do is be with Jesus. And Jesus says no. He begged him. There's a couple begging that the demons beg, the people, the villagers beg, they go get what they want. He begs. He doesn't get what he wants. There's something that happens here when Christ's victory hits our lives. In a sense, he ruins everything. (laughs) And life does not follow script anymore when you follow Jesus. That's what really gets me about this text. It doesn't follow script anymore. It doesn't follow, you know, you, you, you might think, oh, I'm going to come to Jesus to get what I want. And I'm saying, no, uh, Jesus is here to ruin your life. Oh, it restores your life. But, I mean, I'm experiencing this right now in my personal life. I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing this as a church, how many of you really look at your life and you go, really? Was this the script you chose, Brittany, for your life? Was this a script that you, was this how you wanted? Didn't you beg for something different? What, what is the charm of the power of this story now? Sure, Christ's victory over bizarre, total, demonic power, but it's also what? Christ's victory in our lives. When things completely go wrong, go sideways. His life went sideways when he got when he was possessed. Christ restores him, and then it goes sideways again in the other direction. Like, why isn't... But, did, but I wanted to... Didn't he want the right thing by wanting to be with Jesus? I, I, I can't imagine how much he must have cried that night. It must have hurt. And uh, I picture that what the scriptures in their wisdom and what Mark in his wisdom is presenting to you is a glorious victory of Christ and you don't have any control. He doesn't give you control. He takes it. But what happens here? Christ doesn't get what he wants either, it seems like. He's like he wanted to go there and then they rebuff him and leave. He sends The demoniac. Where does he send the demoniac? This is the final (coughs) ruination of our lives. Ruin your day. Where does he send the demoniac? To the Decapolis. That was ten cities in the area. They were a collection. They were confederation of cities that had been around for about a hundred years at this point. And um, including Damascus and some others. Christ loves the villagers. He sends the demoniac to go tell them. These are the people of that area. And how does he respond? He responds by sending and by mission. And the final thing that happens, if we really encounter Christ and the way his the grace, in a sense, comes and is glorious, and we become a glorious ruin, as it were. <laughs> um, uh, the third thing that we, Christ does, I think, in a sense, is he, he ruins us. He ruins us with, his, with, with, with new purpose. He ruins us with new purpose. And the idea, the idea that pregnant here in the text is that if we will and have encountered Christ and his greatness and his authority, we are now, you know, with a certain sort of um, inevitable push of love, are people who go and tell. who go and tell. who go and tell. who go, go and tell. You must go and tell. Because they have witnessed the power of God, they have witnessed the power of God in victory in their own lives, and they are animated with new love and desire. And and it maybe wasn't what they wanted, right? Well, he didn't want this, but this is what he got. Uh, there's speculation sometimes that he's the an author, maybe of Hebrews late. There's oh, everybody's wondering like who, is, who does he wind up being in the kingdom? Is he he becomes this missional force in a, in a, ten cities, not just one city, ten cities. He who was conquered by self-destruction and demonic power and mental illness and self-destruction and total self-annihilation is now the preacher the mission, on mission. And I love this so final idea that Christ is going to come in a sense to ruin your life with a new purpose. I, um, I'm, we're going to we're have membership uh, soon. I'm excited about, I'm excited, honestly, I'm excited about identifying together as members. You know, I'm excited about that because, because us publicly assenting to a label, a name, a membership has, um, it's a good thing. Uh, My coach, uh, Tom said, uh, he had a warning though. He's cause we're doing a little bit earlier than most church plants do it. He said, here's your problem, Chris. If you take in members, people think they've arrived And they no longer are going out. Is that the threat now? There is is a necessary, immediate, constant, urgent force for all those who truly know the power of God to broadcast. (laughs) Witness it as a kid. and uh, my father, as a Jew and a Buddhist coming to Christ, for my father, he's very, very, uh, very, very intelligent. But him, it was the, the the force of the logical sequitur ruined our lives. And he said, My dad, fearless, pick up hitchhikers. And I know why he picked them up. And there's a bench seat on the front truck. And you, some of you have heard me tell the story. And I'd shift over on the bench seat of an old. 60, you know, 50, 55 Chevy truck. I'd sit there, I'd see the hitchhiker get in. I'd look at my dad, I'm like 10. I look at my dad, I'd look at the hitchhiker, and I think that poor guy has no idea what's about to happen. My father would scour the highways looking for hitchhikers just so he could share the gospel. He didn't care. Just to him, there was a glorious urgency. He had met God. He had been saved and rescued from a life in bondage to drugs and idolatry and destruction. He was destroying our whole family. His violence all went outward to us, not to himself. And Christ healed him. So as I witnessed that urgency, that immediacy, the potency and the power of the kingdom of God now pushing outward, it pushed me outward. And I went to this day I want to push you out. Maybe you have plans for your careers and plans for your life and maybe plans for what this church looks like or how you fit in or where you're going and what you're doing. Are you ready to have them ruined by by a gospel call to missionally love at work and tell the power of God? Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you for, for rescuing me. I rescued my family all those years ago. I, I, uh, I thank you for stories where you penetrate some of the ugly foulness, some of the ugliness that I see on the street that we see around us. And you penetrate it with, with rescue, with restoration, with wholeness. How, how can this be? Father, uh, these stories, um, I pray, I'm i going to pray gently and tenderly right now that, that you would work to show and convince those whose skepticism and cynicism has prevented them from a, uh, having a, a true vision of personhood like you have, made in your image, spiritual beings. Father, I pray for our city, we pray for our great city, for healing for it, and uh, healing that will That will be amazing. We pray for real. We do pray for victory over demonic power and demonic presence, and rescue. And uh, that you would you would do, Father. We pray more for to be missionally sent. We pray to to understand now more deeply how you loved and rescued the people who could not save themselves. That that is your gospel love here at our at the table of our Savior. I pray for these things to you, earnestly, pleading with you, begging you. Father, we beg you if, you, if we can't be with you right now, then send us, and send us with power, like you did this man. We prayed in Christ. Amen. Amen. On the night our, our Savior was be, betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, uh, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, take and eat. And in a similar way, he also took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. You heard me say earlier that, that, um, that the, the demoniac shows us we can't save ourselves. He couldn't save himself. Uh, that's what this table is advertising. That's what it's saying. That's what it's enacting. You can't feed yourself even. You must be fed by God. His body and His blood uh, are are meant to communicate that Christ's saving love and saving power restores and heals and forgives all sin, all misery, all destruction. Even our own. Even our own. If you have faith in this, however small, faith enough to scream (laughs) in your heart, to howl before the Father that you need forgiveness, then this is your table. Christ receives sinners who put their faith in Jesus. If you are a skeptic or a cynic and, you, and you've been listening, maybe you're curious, I hope you'll watch. I hope, you're wa- I hope you'll watch, and I don't just hope you'll watch, I hope you'll wonder if there's some way that you could believe in a God the way all these other people seem to believe and do believe. There's a final group, though, and I, this is called a fence. This is called a gate. Uh, this is a prohibition. There are people who are not allowed at the table. And uh, those are the people who think they're good people. Christ didn't come to to heal the healthy. He came to heal the sick, to heal the blind, to rescue those who are in in destruction. If you think you're a good person, I would ask, I would say, you are not worthy of the table. Make sense? So we're going to celebrate this table together. This is a very simple process now. We're going to, uh, we're going to read the Apostles' Creed together. I ask that that's the, actually the list of things that you assent to as true and factual uh, and you believe. Uh, so we, uh, we're going to take the table. As we're doing the uh, Apostles' uh, Creed, we're going to come forward and we need to get some wine. Oh, this is wine on either side. And grape juice is in the center for those who, whose conscience or practice or taste prefers it. And so that, thats thats grape juice. We got rice crackers, and uh, for the gluten-free folks, which is me actually, and, uh, and then we have wine. So anyway, get get the get get the get the uh, the p- parson pieces. We'll go back to our seats, take everything together, and uh, be be dismissed with a doxology, and uh, and uh, and a benediction. Let's stand. and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. His body is good food. His blood is good drink. Come. Come. The renaissance of the soul, the restoration of personhood, healing, his body and his blood. Christ, having broke the bread, he said, Take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, took the blood, said, Take a drink, do this, and remember me. His body is good food. His blood is good drink.